Please stand for the reading of God's word. The Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love, your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while, their mouths, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. The grass withers and the flowers fall. And the New Testament reading is from Matthew, chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. The Gospel of our Lord. you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we're uh, in a sermon series entitled Colonizing Earth with the Life of Heaven. Our goal here is to make, uh, to, to talk about, to expound uh, this kingdom of God very tangibly, to, to talk about what, is it, what does it mean in uh, the various aspects. And so we're going to turn our attention to uh, this passage in Matthew where Jesus uh, first enacts his mission and then sends his disciples out on the very same mission. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we need uh, you to meet with us this morning, even as you have promised to do and and have been faithfully doing. We ask that you would would wake us up and breathe new life into us, that we would be able to receive your word, even the very bread of life in Christ himself. Amen. Amen. Um, one year ago, I got to participate in an event that is an annual rite of passage in our community. Um, it's for children of many ages, but, uh, they come in one way and they leave never the same. It's the Fairland Field Day. And it happened just this last week, but this one I'm talking about was a year ago. There's a big, they do it out on the big field, all kind of games, uh, kids breaking bones and getting stitches and whatnot, 
but my job that year was, uh, I don't remember how I got it or who asked me, because I, I usually sign up for something wet where I can like douse the kids in water and stuff and laugh at them. But this one, somebody asked me to do, I don't really laugh at them, that was a joke. Somebody asked me to do the snack stand this year, and I thought, that sounds pretty boring. You just, like, hand to them snacks and then say, that will be 50 cents. So then I thought, I don't want to be bored. That, this is a good opportunity. So I, I called some of the people who had kids at Fairland and who I thought are raging good times. Uh, Marshall Brock was one of them. And I did call Calvin and Clint, but they couldn't come. And uh, Marcus Holsey. So Marshall and... Marcus and I, and Banner was there too. He came for part of it, Banner Brock. We uh, got together. We said, okay, this, uh, how can we have fun with this? How can we make this kind of like a memorable part of field day? And so what we determined to do was to uh, become, for the children, 70s-era Chicago used car salesmen. And so we had like thick ties and polyester pants and dapper hats and we uh, put on terrible accents and uh, I think uh, Marshall was Honest Charlie and, uh, uh, and I was Fast Dawn and I can't remember what Marcus was, but everybody had a nickname and so the kids would come in and we'd be like, oh, hey, come on in, yeah, we got, all right. we got what you need. You want some Snickers? Bing, we got it. You want some goldfish? Boom, right there, 25. What do we got on that, Honest Don? That's 25, 25, four for a dollar, here we go. And we did that the whole time. And the kindergartners were terrified. <laughs> they took a couple steps back as soon as we started yelling and flashing candy at them. But I think the older kids actually enjoyed it. We certainly had a blast. But as I go through the hallway, you know, that, that uh, event was a great way to get to know, like, a lot of the teachers and a lot of the students that I didn't already know. I talked to them and uh, shake their hand, give them high fives, all that stuff. Um, it was a blast. Okay. I think that's a lot of proclaiming the kingdom right there that happened. I think that's a lot of going out and as you go, proclaim the good news uh, and, and, uh, and, and draw near to, to the community. That, I think, is a very decent depiction of a part of being part of this mission that, that Jesus is calling us to in this passage. So Jesus says in this passage um, that... Uh, that he was going into all the towns and villages, a summary statement of what Jesus' activity while, uh, during his earthly ministry was. He was going into all the towns and villages, uh, proclaiming the kingdom and healing any who had diseases or illnesses. I love this, uh, this part. I just lost my passage. This part that says, uh, where <laughs> I almost have it memorized. Um, He says this, when he saw the crowds, Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus's ministry was marked by proclamation and word and deed and was motivated by compassion to be a shepherd to his people. So people, humanity needs compassion. People need a shepherd and people need you. People need compassion. They need to be brought in and, and, and held and told uh, they're not outside the pale of humanity. They are one of the suffering. They are one of the broken, one of the, the needy, and that's okay. They need, to be, they need a shepherd 
who will guide and guard, provide for them. And they need you to go and be near. The message translates this part uh, about Jesus. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. I love that. His heart broke. Compassion, I think, is a, is a bit of a hot button right now, culturally. Um, and uh, it seems to be this kind of growing, like, yes, compassion, that's what we need. We need to recognize everybody as alike. We need to, be, we need to know that, every, that no one is kind of like way out on the, on the fringes. We're all humans, and, we're, and, and by definition, by some definition, that means we're all flawed, and we're, and we're mistaken, we're, we're wrong, and that's okay. I think that's a, that's a, a common liturgy in our culture right now. Um, I like to think of compassion this way. Do you know the Mission Impossible movies or the old show? I like the current movies that are in right now. I think, uh, what's his face, Tom Cruise has done about eight of them already. But I don't like the dude, but his movies are great. That guy makes some really good movies. So Mission Impossible, the gadgets. I don't remember which one this is in. Because uh, uh, it's been a while since I've seen him, but there's one of them where he, you know, he goes through and he gets all his new gadgets. This is like your shoe knife. You tap your heel twice, and then you kick in some knife, and you know, all, and like this one's a communicate. All those things he gets them all, all his gadgets. And one of them, he gets this thing. It's a transmitter. It's about this big, and it, it creates this frequency that's so high that you can't really hear it. But if you take that transmitter, it's creating this frequency, and then you hold it, you bring it up near to glass. You guys know what happens. It breaks, right? And it kind of breaks quietly. So you can sneak into where you're going. So it doesn't make any sound. But, but it, it, uh, it actually it, it emits this frequency, which is essentially a vibration, right? And you put it up to the glass, and the glass then takes on the frequency of the emitter until it vibrates to the point that it can't hold its structure anymore and it shatters. That's compassion. It's coming up near to the frequency, so near to the frequency somebody else is emitting that you vibrating at their same pattern. You're vibrating at their same frequency. And in Jesus' case, he was so near, so identifying with, that his heart broke. People need compassion. I was uh, watching a TED Talk yesterday that my younger brother sent me, um, and it was a woman who was speaking on self-compassion. She, uh, she said, you know, self-esteem, that movement has really been shown to be pretty bankrupt. It just doesn't work. Uh, it's all based on comparison. Self-esteem means I've got to be better than somebody else. I've got to accomplish more than. I've got, uh, you know, if everybody in the culture believes that they have to be above average to be any good, then that's a problem, right? Because most of us, almost everyone in here is average. <laughs> that's great. But the self-esteem says that's not okay. So she's saying it's, it, uh, it creates all these uh, social problems, but what we actually need is self-compassion. Self-compassion, which means I'm not different. I'm not better than everybody else. I'm actually just the same as everyone else. I'm actually, uh, so when, when I feel shame, when I feel embarrassed, uh, I can remind myself it's okay. I am a human, and every human has, makes mistakes. Every human is imperfect, and I belong to this vast sea of imperfection, um, and that's, that's comforting to me. I don't, I don't need, uh, I can't extend to myself or receive from others condemnation because I'm just as broken as they are, and that's okay, right? Self-compassion. She did talk about, she showed like this graph on the number of studies done on self-compassion. Of course, skyrocketed over the last 
uh, five to seven years. Uh, and she says, without fail, every one of these studies is showing that having self-compassion, being kind to yourself, and accepting yourself as flawed and, uh, and, and part of the vast sea of humanity in your flawedness, it, uh, has these amazing effects on mental stability, uh, on, uh, on the reduction in depression, on uh, production in your work and other parts of your life go up drastically the more you practice this, um, this self-compassion. Stress goes down and happiness goes up. She illustrates this uh, by telling a story of, uh, of when she took uh, an international flight. She was flying from the States to the UK with her young son. And the, and the son has an absolute meltdown tantrum. Just crazy tantrum. And so she's on the plane, and what is she thinking, of course? Everyone's looking at me. It's like lasers, like out of their eyes, boring into the back of my head, hating me. Like I can feel the heat from their vision. They are so mad at me. And she, of course, is feeling embarrassment. She's feeling shame. She's hearing all the voices in her head uh, from the other passengers. What a terrible mother. What a messed up kid. Um, and she's telling herself, maybe I should do something. Maybe if I was a better mom, this wouldn't be happening. If I did something different, if I knew what to do. But of course, I'm not part of the sea of humanity. I'm this special case way over here who's the most messed up and who is so abnormally stupid that I can't control this kid or fix this situation. So she says, all this is happening. She thinks, okay, I'll just go to the bathroom with this, my son and he'll be violent in there, but at least it'll be kind of contained. She tries to go back there holding this like tantrum and kid all the way to the back and it's of course occupied so there she is in that tiny space right outside the bathroom where the stewardess or the flight attendant is coming back and forth again and again and uh and she's like trying to hold this tantruming child and she says in that moment she says quote i knew in that moment that my only refuge was myself i know this is hard i said to myself but I'm here with you, and I won't leave. And that struck me as strange. Um, you know, but, in, but she reports, as I did that, I was able to settle down. I wasn't so focused on my embarrassment so that I could focus on my son and helping him. Uh, I wasn't so worried about what other people are thinking uh, so that I could actually be in the moment and be doing what I needed to do most in that moment not getting angry, not hurting the situation, which that's, that's really good, actually, right? That's a good outcome. Way to go, TED Talk lady. That's good. Here's my question. If you walk by somebody in the hallway and you bump them and they spill their coffee on themselves, do you say to yourself, excuse me? Do you say to that person who just spilled it and you just had an effect on them, pardon me, Right? And if it's really bad and they spill it all over themselves, then you, you say even more profusely, you acknowledge what I did cost you. I am very sorry. You might end up then making something right with them. It was an expensive cup of coffee, so you buy them a new one, or you ruin their shirt, so you need to replace that shirt. You see what I'm saying? You actually have to take into account the people you affected. Self-compassion is great if you have a tantruming child on a plane, and it's kind of excusable for the most part. If you have, like, a moderately excusable foible, let's say. 
But what if it's something really bad? Do you just assume that these people don't need interaction, that they're fine, that, that, uh, that all I need is myself and to interact with me? What about those other people? They're not just an accessory to her embarrassment. They actually matter. You know, what if her tantruming son was like jostling the person next to them while, they're try- while that person's trying to work on some important account that they're going to go have a meeting with right off the plane and because of the tantruming child, they don't get the account and then they lose the account and then they, you know, some terrible series of events happens in their life. That tantruming child actually cost that person something. So self-compassion is good, but it's not quite enough. It's not quite enough. Um, I was out uh, a couple of weeks ago at this uh, event for Farallon. It's an overnight field trip called, uh, and you go to this place called Wasiga. It's like this outdoor kind of education thing, and it was a blast. And one of the things you get to do is go on a zip line. So you climb this tall tower, right, Cannon? And, uh, and you strap in, you're like, oh, you got all gusty, you got to put this thing on that is compromising and not fun. And then you <laughs> lock in, and then you climb this tower. And I was asking them about this, like, hey, I mean, tell me some crazy stories about this. And they mentioned this one guy. There was this guy a few years ago, and everybody started chanting, and they wanted him to do it. And we didn't think he was going to do it. And I was like, oh, really, why not? Did he not look fit or did he not look strong? No, 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 he looked really strong. I was like, well, what was wrong? Well, he was wearing odd clothes for an outdoor camp. Really, odd clothes? What do you mean by that? Like clown shoes or something? No. He had on khaki pants and a button-down white shirt with boots on And then I remembered a video I saw a few years ago when it was Anders' turn to go. And Eric showed the staff, this is me doing the zip line, and I said, you're in your uniform. What are you doing? It's three days in the wilderness. I love it. So you have to clip into this thing, and Hank did it, and Tori did it back there, and a bunch of our kids have done it. And, uh, and you have to clip in, right? And so there's this rope that clips into your harness and goes up to a hook up in the very top and back down to somebody holding the rope. So they're holding it so if you start climbing and you fall, you're not going to fall all the way down because the rope is strongly attached to this person called your belayer. And my favorite moment, because I got to see this 20 times while I was there standing and looking like this as people climbed, was when they would get up to the top and they'd unclip from the belayer and clip in to the, um, to the, to the zip line. And then they take that rope and they said, dropping rope. And then somebody at the bottom says, go ahead, or drop rope, or whatever. And they drop this rope, and it makes this really satisfying. It just sounds so nice. It's this soft rope. Just, and I got to, and it, was, it was one of those things that was like, that's kind of soothing. I don't know. I really like that. <laughs> if you want to get safely up, how good is that rope to you right then? Lying on the ground. If you want to move upwards and you have a rope lying on the ground is that any good to you at all this is an easy one no thank you barnes way smarter than most people in here no it's not a rope is not firm it's not strong all it can do the only way it can help us is if it's firmly attached to something stronger than you 
something heavier, something weightier, something uh, bigger than you. You can't climb up, you can't climb out of a hole with a rope. It's got to be attached to something. And that is, that is why Jesus says he had compassion to the point that his heart broke because he knew they needed a shepherd. He knew they needed someone stronger. They needed an anchor point. So people need compassion. They need to be brought into the sea of humanity and told, you are not pushed out. You are not the special irredeemable case. But they also need a shepherd. They need a shepherd. Romans 1, why do we need a shepherd? Romans 1 tells us that we have this kind of, by God's just general kindness to the world, we have this very kind of uh, beginning forms of a, of a conscience. Romans 1 tells us that we know the truth, that all humanity knows the truth. It's God's kindness that he tells us that. But what happens if in your self-compassion, you just keep blowing by this little voice inside that may be right? You just keep saying, no, I'm okay. It's all right. I, I, I don't need to condemn myself. I, I'm only doing what's reasonable in this moment. Like your little voice is telling you, stop bringing a child prone to tantrums on international flights. And you're like, no, 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 I'm just part of humanity. I'm just going to keep bringing the kid. Don't start, don't, don't keep blowing through that voice, right? You're just ruining it. What if, that, what if you're way wrong? What if you're way off in your self-compassion? No, everybody, I mean, I mean, my boss used to lose it with me and I can do it to, to the other people I work with and just, you know, everybody loses it sometimes. Everybody gets angry. It's okay. It's all right. Anybody would do it in my position. Well, maybe not. Maybe that's seriously destructive to the other people you're around. You know what makes uh, this most recent comic book movie villain Thanos good? Thanos is the big bad guy in the most recent Marvel movie called uh, Infinity War. You know what makes him a good villain? He's actually relatable. Even though he's gigantic and purple, he's actually relatable. Because Thanos, his whole point is, I'm the one who knows what's right. I'm the one who's smart enough, who can see clearly enough to know what must be done. And I'm the one who's strong enough, who's committed enough to do it. I'll make the sacrifice and do it myself. Do you ever feel like that at work? I'm the only one who knows what's right around here, or at your family, or in your school, No one else sees it. No one else gets it but me. You know what Thanos was so right about? He thought. Thanos decides he's got to kill half the life in the universe to make room for the other half. Life is multiplying too fast and it's eating up all the resources in the universe. So his job is to make room for life to continue to grow. So he's got to kill half the life in the universe. Okay, you were really on board with Thanos until that moment, right? Like, yeah, I can, I, can, I can understand that. All of us can go far off the rails in our self-compassion, in our self-confidence. I know what I need to do. I'm the one who can get it done. I'm the one who knows how to move forward here. But the problem is we don't, we're just not wise enough. We're not consistent enough as our own judges. We need a shepherd. Jesus had compassion And he knew they needed a shepherd. He knew they needed a shepherd. 
You see, Jesus came near to us and he resonated at that frequency, our frequency of hurt, of brokenness, of sin, to the point that he was shattered, not just of heart, but his, his body was shattered on the cross as he took on our frequency, our sin, and compassion. And he got not the good shepherd turning towards him in his pain. He got judgment from his father, the judgment that you and I deserve, so that when we turn to our father, we have that compassion. You see, we are we're to identify first with these crowds that we are the helpless and harassed that receive the compassion and the rescue of Jesus. The only reason we can go out on his mission is because he has come to us already. And he has resonated at our frequency so deeply that he let himself be shattered. You'll notice that our passage is, uh, is a mirror image of itself. That this, It says that Jesus uh, taught and proclaimed and healed, and then he gives authority to his disciples to proclaim and to heal. It's a mirror image. Jesus is sending us, his disciples, on the very mission that he engaged in himself. I have a friend who is, um, who, uh, whose family adopted uh, a little girl. They're part of a church in Florida. And, um, and as I was listening to the story about that, I said, how, how did that happen? Tell me about that. Um, and it turns out there was, a, there was a little girl who was in their neighborhood, their community where their church existed. And, uh, and this little girl was, uh, was being mistreated in her home. And nobody knew about it. You know, until somehow it came to light. And, I, uh, and as we were talking about it, um, and, ha- and kind of the story of that unfolding and the story of this little girl coming into their home, he said this line that, was, uh, that stopped me in my tracks. He said, well, we were just a church that was near enough to hear her cry. We were near enough to hear her cry. People need compassion. People need a shepherd. And people need you. I think this is the lion's share of what Jesus is calling us to, is to be near enough to hear her cry. Uh, the first lesson I got in this was, uh, in moving here, was actually from Eric and Kathy. Uh, sorry to tell another young blood story. But uh, they were uh, at Fairland School. I first got there, and I noticed that Eric and Kathy walked their boys in every morning and on their way out, talking to everybody, shaking hands, saying hey, saying good morning. And I remember one of the first mornings I was here bringing my kids, running into Eric as we were on our way out. And I, I think we even ended up like standing there with somebody else and talking for 15, 20 minutes. And, uh, and Eric said, you know, I never plan anything directly after drop-off just for cases like this, because it just could happen that somebody needs to talk with me or just needs somebody to listen. Somebody needs compassion. Somebody needs somebody, needs somebody to draw near enough to resonate with their frequency. I think that's, uh, that's what we're being called to by Jesus here. He has drawn near to us 
so near that he can hear our cry. And he's calling us to do the same. Uh, I was talking to Rachel about this sermon, and she goes, oh, no. You're just going to give us a lot more to do, aren't you? Uh, Well, yes and no, right? If this is, like, if this really is central to the kingdom of God, this proclamation and word and deed, then, yeah, there's more to do. But it also means you get to put down some other stuff that's not central to this kingdom. So, yes, more to do. Um, but but I, don't, I don't think this ought to be like a tack on, like gluing a Lego to the outside of a building of our life. It needs to be central to our lives. And so when we go get our gas, maybe go inside to pay and just talk to the person who's taking money there. That's a simple one. Making room to draw near. Um, I was, <laughs> not many people can claim that they've gotten lost in a restaurant before, <laughs> but I, I did. And I passed through the kitchen, which is a big no-no in the restaurant world, apparently. <laughs> that was one of those like reclaimed spaces in cool Chattanooga, so nothing was laid out properly. So I was trying to get to this one room, and I thought you had to go through the kitchen. So... But as I pass through, there's this whiteboard with, like, coaching tips to the servers. And, and, uh, and the tip for the day was something along the lines of cultivate your regulars. Um, you know, comp them an appetizer every once in a while. Stop and talk with them. They are your lifeblood. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I didn't know that being a regular was, like, something that, that servers looked for intently and wanted. Here's a good idea. Be a regular and over tip. What's one or two bucks to you? Almost nothing, but for like two hours, that person, their, has that, their two-hour chunk of time around you being there has just been gone through the roof. For $2, you just made it. But you also may be buying a voice, you know, buying an opportunity to hear. Be a regular. Wednesdays, I'm going to this place at this time because that's his shift or that's her shift. I don't know. I could do that, but I like diversity, so I don't. It's a good idea. I don't, these are not ideas I do. I'm just telling you they're... <laughs> do you think I had to be perfect to be up here and preaching? I don't. They're your lifeblood. Um... One of my favorite parts of that story of, of serving candy to kids at, at, uh, at field day was that I did it with, with dudes I love hanging out with. Think of people you like and then do cool stuff with them, right? Like, I like eating grilled hamburgers. Um, I like the browns. Let's have a cookout and invite people. How about it? We're in. Like, just do stuff that where you invite people to your home with people that you like. Don't do it alone. That's a lot of pressure. Do it together. Um, last part about this, and I think this is, you know, there's always, there's often like a put off and a put on. If the put on is listen, have compassion, draw near so you can hear. The put off uh, involves, you know, you got to slow down for this to work at all. You just have to. Um, I love that the Gospels 
almost always before Jesus acts, before he does something, it talks about, it, it mentions this. In this passage, it says, um, when he saw the crowds, when he saw them, he looks at them. He has to slow down enough to notice them, right? It says, when he saw the widow mourning over her son. I love this one. And he looked at the young man and he loved him. You know, Jesus slows down. He slows down. We were at a funeral last, uh, last week and, uh, and um, I was holding Delcy in my lap and there was a, a pastor um, who was performing, kind of helping, helping things happen there, but he didn't know the family. Um, he, was a, he was a wonderful man. Um, but he's praying for us for kind of like the family gathering before we go out. I don't know. I don't do a lot of funerals. But, but he's like praying for us. Then we're all going to be let out. And Delcy's sitting there in my lap. And he's pray- while the pastor's praying, she looks up. She kind of pulls my head down to her. And he sa- she says, why is he praying so fast? <laughs> I would never have told that if she was in here. <clears throat> I loved it. You have to slow down. You have to slow down. You've got to linger. You've got to slow down. Why is he praying so fast? How is he going to hear his father telling him what to pray next? How is he going to hear Holy Spirit guide him into whose hand to shake and what questions to ask if he's going so fast? If you're not slow enough to hear, We've got to hear our Father speak to us. We've got to be quiet enough to listen, slow enough to stop for a conversation, slow enough to allow our curiosity to be aroused. Then what happened? How did that feel for you? What was that like? You've got to slow down enough for these things to happen. Okay, for a moment, we're going we're gonna to take a, 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 just a second together as a church family and slow down. I want us to take a moment of silence, just a few seconds. I want you to ask, Holy Spirit, would you put into my mind's eye a person, someone, a face? Who do you want me to reach out to? Who needs attention? Who needs me to draw near enough to, to resonate with their frequency? Who may you want me to draw near to? And what's going on in their life? What do I know about their life that needs your compassion and your strength as their shepherd? If you have a pen and a paper, write it down. This is, if you have your phone, take a note. Send them a text later today. Do something simple. Reach out. So we're going to take a moment of silence. Who do you want me to think about? And what may be going on in their life? Take a moment of silence. Heavenly Father, don't let us leave here and forget. 
Remind us of this person that you're calling us towards. Most of all, remind us that you have drawn so near that you let yourself be shattered by our sorrows and our sin. And send us in like like manner to the people around us. Amen. Amen. We'll close in worship.